Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have on the podcast for the first time ever. It's been, I don't know how this is the first time. It should have been happened many times ago, but this is Dr. Drew Hart. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, uh, last uh, last week we recorded an episode of the podcast that you do with Jared McKenna, yep. the Inverse Podcast. That's right. And uh, one of the things that we came to realize very quickly is um, we've got a lot in common. Both born Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. That's right. You've got three kids. I got three kids. Mm-hmm. Yours are boy, boys, mine are girls. Um, and in some ways, I had this this stark realization that in another world, I could have ended up to be you. Um, mm-hmm. But luckily. I was not raised to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I became a <laughs> Dallas Cowboys fan. And that is basically the only thing that separates us, besides that great beard of yours. And so I just want to say, I'm sorry that you never had someone who taught you the ways of the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. I knew that was coming, so I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to take it on the cheek and keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> that is not very Philadelphia of you. I mean, you, you've lived in Harrisburg long enough, right? Yeah, well, Harrisburg, Harrisburg <laughs> is it's half... Eagles and half Steelers in Harrisburg, mm-hmm. so, so that's the vibe here. But uh, okay. nobody's a Dallas fan out here anyway. I don't have to. <laughs> I can just let it roll off me. I don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when I was a kid, I got a Dallas Cowboys starter jacket. Do you remember oh, those yeah, starter, yeah, like yeah, the big yeah. poofy yep, one? Yep, yep. Yeah, there were not a lot of blue uh, <laughs> starter jackets with a silver star in the back, yep. and that did not go over too well uh, on right. the playground. I'll just tell you that much. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, okay, so your background, uh, you, you teach uh, at, uh, oh, I just forgot the name Messiah, of it. Messiah College. Messiah College. Yeah. Soon to be and... Messiah University. <laughs> really? Yeah, this summer it'll make the switch officially. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Big deal. Congratulations yep. Yep. on that. And uh, so you teach a bunch of stuff. We were just talking about it before. Uh, you teach uh, Anabaptist. Theology. Like theology. Yeah. Uh, African. African-American uh, theology. theology. Yeah. Ethics? Don't you do some ethics stuff as well? Uh, a course called Faith in Society. Um, yeah. all, all my courses, honestly, have engaged. I think theology and ethics are always bound together. So all my courses um, are ethics courses in some ways. Yeah. Okay. So uh, since you're a professional at this, I don't know if you saw the news, but there was a church in Florida in which the pastor uh, was very obstinate that they're going to still gather for worship. And so they packed, I don't know, a thousand plus people in, uh, in their building because they were not going to give up on worshiping. They said, unless the rapture happens, they're going to worship. Now, he just got arrested today. But, uh, Didn't what hear class that. Of, yeah, he just got arrested. Yeah, uh, unlawful gathering, I believe, yeah, is what yeah. the citation was. Okay. So, uh, do you think an ethics class would have helped him make better decisions? Um, it probably would have depended on which ethics class he took, right? I mean, I mean the fact of the matter is, is that even there are Christian ethicists that I have that I think have dangerous ways of going about their work. And so I don't, it, ethics in and of itself is still a very generic thing, right? Um, is it necessarily being shaped by the person life teachings and, you know, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's a whole other thing. Um, but I'm not surprised though, to hear that, you know, there are <laughs> pastors out here that that's the stand that they need to take. Yeah. That was a very professorial answer. That, that was a very nice way to say that. Um, I mean, I would have said, 
yes if it was a good class, no if it was a bad class. But you, you're very cordial to, to your uh, fellow professor, so good for you. Uh, the subject today is, um, we are doing, um, this will be the first of three uh, mini podcasts I want to do around the subject of Easter. And Easter is a time for celebration, and uh, there is a sense of, like, th- this is the day that we we celebrate the resurrection and that's good news. It's the best Sunday of the year. I don't know about your church, but like everyone, you know, dresses with their past pest pastels on. Everyone's happy. Like you get the big hat. Sometimes you get the the pretty dresses and like I wear my nicest shirt, you know, like that, that's your church experience. It's my church experience. Absolutely. I I assume your church now is everything just digitally, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, We're all digital. So we've been doing that for a few weeks. And when you think of what is like a, how do we celebrate resurrection in a time that seems very much not very resurrectiony? It doesn't seem very triumphal. It doesn't seem very celebratory. As, as you're thinking of what the resurrection means right now, where do you go for? I know you're you're trying to teach your three kids, your, your your three boys, you and your wife are teaching them what resurrection means. How are you teaching about that in light of this reality? Um, I feel like I mean the irony is, is this is when it matters, and this is where it actually has its meaning, right, is, is precisely at these moments. I think that um, for, I'll go ahead and say, comfortable Christians, right, um, that have always enjoyed the status quo and things have worked in their favor, then this becomes a moment of crisis. What do we do when things are turned against us and things are hard and difficult, right? But the fact of the matter is there's lots of Christians where that's always the case. In fact, I would argue that for most of church history, especially the early church, um, the idea of Easter um, or resurrection, um, you know, confirming, you know, the world as it is wouldn't have made sense. It's precisely that it, that that resurrection is about hope in another world, right? Yeah. It's about hope beyond um, the way things are right now. It's desiring and um, anticipating and hungering and thirsting for something else. Um, It's precisely at that moment that it actually is intelligible, because that's precisely what it's about. It's that this world isn't as it should be, that this world is the old order, that there is so much suffering and harm and pain. And, um, And so I would, you know, contend that if folks would uh, maybe engage the black church tradition, um, they could find out how do you worship and celebrate the victory of Christ in the midst of so much death and decay and and hardship. Hmm. I mean, that is a very good point. It it seems that uh, when you have these uh, small sort of things to celebrate, in in, in light of the kingdom, in light of the resurrection, it is small to say that if you have a nice house and you have a a good paying job, that that is something to celebrate. Those are nice things, but in comparison to the resurrection, I mean, it's basically nothing. Right. Um, but for some of us, we've been so, in some ways, like, um, we become immune to the resurrection because we've gotten so used to these small things that we hold on to. Right. And so you, you said if we can lean into what uh, the black church has to offer the wider church voice, uh, at, at one component of the church, which is, you know, the black church has this witness of, uh, maybe you could say this better than I could, but having to celebrate the resurrection in times that, that aren't so celebratory. Right, and so what are some of those? What are some of those voices? What are some of those um, uh, ways of of teaching the rest of the church that the black church could share with us right now? Um, I mean, number one, first we could just uh, just think about the the church, uh, the black church in particular, through its own history. Right, um, what did it mean to celebrate 
Easter and, and see the resurrection in the midst of slavery, right? Um, um, when one has to pick cotton and has one's child ripped away from them, right? Or is being whipped. I mean, where's the resurrection in that place? And and it's precisely, and it's not, I say all that to say that it's not that there isn't, um, but it's that the resurrection shows up precisely that as, as black people are stealing away, so to speak, that's when they worship outside the, the watchful eye of their masters. Explain that. Uh, that terminology? Stealing away, uh, b- breaking away. They would go to the brush arbors. It's this, this practice of where, so um, Christianity was being imposed on them. A, a particular kind of Christian, a slaveholding Christianity was being imposed yeah, yeah, yeah. on these these enslaved Africans. So when they wanted to worship God for themselves, they had to do it outside of the watchful eye. And there, all of a sudden, we have all these spirituals that are you know where where God is a deliverer, right? And God is present and with them. And I'd say that is resurrection, right? Yeah. That's, there's new life happening there. There's encouragement. There's inspiration. There's uh, lifting of their heads and believing that they can make it another day, right? Um, resurrection's happening in a small resurrection, right? The small R resurrection, yeah. uh, not the ultimate. But so I'd say resurrection is there or in the midst of the Jim Crow era and the lynching era, you know, I mean, J- James Cohn has written a lot about lynching and the cross and the lynching tree. Um, Good book. W- what does it mean to think about resurrection in the midst of death being made such a public spectacle all around you, right? Um, there all of a sudden, um, there is nonetheless this hope that these deaths don't have the last word on their humanity, right? Um, but that, that if Christ is the first fruits um, of the resurrection, then so too can we still have hope, right? And anticipate something beyond even the pain and the suffering, you know, that they're experiencing in that moment. Um, today, I mean, folks, even still today, I mean, we got folks right now, we're talking about corona, we got folks not only dealing with corona right now, but millions of people locked up in prison, right? In unhealthy, unsanitary conditions, not given the dignity as humans um, treated. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous what they're experiencing. And yet I believe that, you know, many people experience new life in Christ present and imminent and real in their lives um, and are anticipating that that will be fulfilled and culminated um, with a new world where these prison walls and bars won't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for some of us to think of, you know, this year for Easter, we're not going to be able to celebrate in person, so we're going to have to, you know, digitally celebrate, uh, and that that is, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Uh, it, it's it's a it, it's very hard to make that statement in light of the idea of having to steal away to worship to celebrate the resurrection, right? And it it really puts it in some context of wow, we've really been pampered, might be one word to describe how. Like our experience has pampered us from the hard realities of what life actually is for so many people. Right. And to tie in together that it's precisely a white Christian practice of triumphalism, a particular kind of viewing of a resurrection, right? Um, that sees its victory culminated in white supremacy that is actually creating the conditions in which black people have to steal away and can't worship God freely, right? Um, so it's a, a it's a distorted understanding of the resurrection itself that actually creates the conditions which black people have to then um, find God in, in the margins and cracks and edges of society. Wow. 
Okay, uh, unpack that one for a little bit for me. So a, a distorted picture of Christianity leads to white supremacy. Right. So it's a because tri- white supremacy is it's a Christ- it's a kind of Christian triumphalism, right? They're trying to it's a it's a false it's the lie that that this is the way God desires the creation to be ordered with white people mm. over and above uh, black people, right? And so so long as the proper order is in place then it's a, it's a demonstration of God's glory and God's triumph mm. in, in creation, yeah. right? I mean, that's the lie of white supremacy itself. And so it, in, in and of itself, then, is a, a distorted understanding of God's victory, mm-hmm. of what God's victory looks like. And it's those, those are the very things that are creating the world of anti-black racism and oppression that forces black people then to not... I mean, let's put it more present time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so during Obama's um, presidency, his uh, pastor, right, gets put on the spotlight, right? Jeremiah Wright. Yeah, yeah. It's the, he's, what is he doing? He's just preaching about the prophetic tradition and saying, connecting the fact of this long history of oppression. It's just facts, right? There's been genocide and slavery and Jim Crow. These are just facts. And he says that God doesn't bless that. God damns that, right? That's the prophetic tradition. That's what he's saying, right? And it's, as he's just practicing his own faith tradition, trying to follow Jesus and speak truthfully to what has gone on in this world, it's white Christianity that lashes out attacks, criticizes, and tries to smother and put an end to that voice, right? And so they went wild with just a a shortened 30-second clip of the whole sermon that tried to misrepresent in some ways what he was getting at, right? Mm. But it was a, a trying to put things back. This black man is disrupting American exceptionalism, the claims of American exceptionalism, and he's got to get put back in his place, right? And so there's this lashing out and criticizing, and even Obama uh, cowers and distances himself, himself, right, from Jeremiah Wright, because you can't become president and have that kind of uh, bold, prophetic voice also attached to you. Those two things, presidency and prophetic voice, don't go together very well. Mm-hmm. And so um, so the things got to get put back in place. And so the triumph is when, when if, if and when um, this black voice finds his proper voice in respect to American exceptionalism once again, right? Um, but it's the order of things have to be back in its place because they envision that America as it is already glorifies God, and it's a dishonor in that framework to dis- to, to shame um, all the good things that have come from America. And, and black and brown people, Native Americans, they should all be grateful. Wow. Hmm. Help, help me unpack the idea of your understanding of American exceptionalism. When you're using that phrase, tell me what you're thinking. Yeah, for American exceptionalism, um, it's this idea that America is this really special and exceptional and chosen nation and people, right? Um, And so it's greatness, right? That's really what's at stake. It's the greatness of America and how above and beyond it is in comparison to other nations. Um, Of course, for me, the problem with trying to emphasize American exceptionalism is the only way to do so is by erasing um, our own history and what has actually been done, particularly to black and Native American people, right? Um, The idea of American exceptionalism doesn't work 
if you actually take a close look at the Native American genocide and the forcible removal that went on for centuries, right, and the still ongoing pain and suffering that Native American people are going through today. In fact, often what people don't realize is that um, their numbers in terms of um, suicides and prison rates, and all, it, it's very similar to black Americans, right? And so, um, but, they're, but they're pushed outside of our memory and our collective consciousness so often um, so that we can forget and claim, because they're the, the original inhabitants. If, how do you claim American exceptionalism and, and honor the original inhabitants, inhabitants in terms of what has been done, right? Same thing with black people. How do you talk about 250 years of slavery, another 100 years of Jim Crow and convict leasing and sharecropping and chain gangs and the lynching and all that kind of stuff? And then talk about the presence, you know, um, explosion of uh, the prison system, right? A, a new Jim Crow system um, that continues to disproportionately impact black people, the ongoing wealth gap that exists in our country, right? All these kind of things. We could go on and on and on about housing and employment and healthcare and anything, right? Um, all, all that to say, once you look at closely at the actual history of what has, how do you call America exceptional? I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah. what, what do we mean by that at that point, right? Yeah. Um, and what does it mean to claim it as some kind of chosen nation, some special, as if um, God's favor rests especially with America rather than um, globally with all people, and particularly with those who are most vulnerable in the world? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. There seems to be an inability to acknowledge that this is a country that has afforded many people uh, a great existence, and that my friends who come to America as refugees from countries that, uh, for whatever reason, has it is a, a hard place to live in which they're uh, constantly uh, vulnerable and at, under attack. And, they're, and so they come here and they go, well, this is great. So grateful to be here. Uh, to, to be able to acknowledge that, like this is a, a place that has offered opportunities for some people in exceptional ways, but then to also be able to admit America's also done things that we are deeply regretful for, and that we have done things, and we continue to do things that don't honor the image of God in all people, and that that we don't live into our best ideals as Americans of letting all people pursue happiness and justice and all these things. It, It seems like there can only be one choice or the other for some people, but I think the perplexity of the human existence is that there are both of those experiences. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would say is, and that we have to remember that. The opportunities came at the expense of yeah. genocide and force. Like America wouldn't exist other than genocide, forcible removal, and slavery, right? Like it's, yeah. condi- it's those are its foundations. Now, what do we build on top of that? All kind of things can be right, and we'll have to decide what kind of nation we want to be, what kind of people we want to be. Um, but even those, I think it's important that even because sometimes immigrants from all over. Um, don't necessarily aren't necessarily bound and tied to the story of America, right? Um, and so they see the opportunity from what they're coming from into what exists now, um, but they're not necessarily wrestling with what costs came at creating yeah. the world that exists now, right? Um, yeah. So even in the black community, there's tension sometimes between um, African Americans and let's say Caribbean Americans, right? Caribbean Americans. Now they have their own history of slavery, or this slightly different history. It's not exactly what mm-hmm. it doesn't parallel exactly, but Nonetheless, they 
those who come over sometimes are like, oh yeah, great opportunity here. But it's at the expense of wrestling with the specific ways that oppression took place in this country and the impacts and harm that it did on ancestors um, in this land. And so it's complicated. It's messy. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's a very good addition to what I said. Yeah, that, you're definitely right. And to not acknowledge the ways in which, uh, whether it was our economy or our railroad system, how those things came into be, it, it didn't come into be by themselves. It didn't come right. into it, itself by chance or by right. someone under their own agency or volition choosing to do those things. And right. to ever dismiss that, yeah, I think you're exactly right. So uh, the idea that you present, like th- this Easter, as we're celebrating the resurrection in a time that seems like it's more... It seems like it's more Friday or Saturday than it is Sunday morning right. on that Easter weekend to lean into the voices of those who for years, for, for centuries, for decades, have been declaring the resurrection, even though they themselves have been living on Friday, Saturday. That's and right. in, in some ways, if not everyone is experiencing the resurrection, then we're all in Friday and Saturday. Right. Right? If, if we're not all celebrating together, then something's wrong because That's God's right. resurrection, the resurrection isn't just for some people, it's for all people. And if it's not good news for, for everyone everywhere, then it's not good news anywhere. And so right. this is like, yeah, like we're all in this together as we're waiting for the ultimate resurrection. That's right. I just absolutely. started to preach your sermon. I, I don't know. You just kind of gave me some amens. I'm like, I'm just going to yeah, do yeah. this. No, that's good. That's good. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I mean, that's why I think it's important that we keep hold of a vision of shalom, right? What is, what do we mean, right? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes we have a, such an individualistic idea of resurrection. It certainly has individual implications, right? I mean, Paul, you think about First Corinthians yeah. 15 and the new bodies and all. Uh, sure, it has individual implications and the end of suffering for me individually. But there is this much broader um, re- resurrection as it impl- the implications for all of creation, for all people, right, mm-hmm. on a cosmological level even, right? And what does it mean for us to be interconnected and for yeah, yeah, yeah. God's dream to come true for it, it, it's a reboot of everything, and all mm-hmm. our all the ways that we interact and, and and all our relationships, right? I mean, if you think about if this old world is is you know is full of oppression and cycles of violence and poverty and um, sicknesses and illnesses, right? If th- if that is such a part of our human condition. Um, this new world, this resurrected world, right? The um, that that is precisely birthed. It's the new world, um, this resurrected world, is a re- reboot in the sense, like, or maybe a yeah. better jubilee, right? Yeah, come on. It's, it's a fresh start, um, and in some ways, maybe. <laughs> If we all recognize the radical and, dare I say, revolutionary way in which resurrection reshapes all of creation, some people might not be as excited about it, right? Yeah. Well, the right? year of Jubilee, like, people are giving back stuff. Right, and because people don't like it. People in this country, when people hear reparations, oh, oh they're going to take my money, right? Well, but, but would they imagine that there's going to be inequality um, in, the in new God's new and world? Yeah. No, right. it's gonna, there's right. going to be a restoration. And I, I, the, uh, when, when Jesus is seen, doesn't, is it John the Baptist who says, look, there's the, uh, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And right. I think that that word sin is singular. Like, the world right. has sin. sin. It's not an right. individual's sins. Right. It is the world has sin. In, and yeah, maybe yeah. in the Jewish idea, sin leads to 
exile. You're distant from where God wants you to be. But Jesus is the one who takes away sin of the world so that we can all come back home, so that we can all be restored to the world and the humanity that God created for us. So I I think that's resurrection right there. That's that's Easter. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, Dr. Hart, I feel like you've, you've given us an Easter message today. Well, this thank is you. good. So, yeah. yeah. Now, this was great conversation. Thanks. Yeah, right on. Uh, we'll have to have you back on when you get when your next book comes out in the spring. Uh, let me ask you a question though: when it is um, when Easter Sunday comes around in your household, are the boys going to get dressed up? You're going to get like matching bow ties and everything, or since you're just watching online, what, what's going to happen there? Yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I don't know if we'll dress up or not. I'm not really sure what we're going to do. Um, you know, so the church that we're at now, we're at, um, it's a multiracial Anabaptist congregation in the city. It's um, a lot of socioeconomic diversity in our congregation, but it's a very poor neighborhood. Um, so often our congregation already has this kind of diverse way in which people engage and dress. So you could have one person in a suit and the next person in sweatpants, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's just our congregation and nobody would notice, you know. Um, So, and same thing, like any given Sunday, like sometimes I do like, because of my old black church traditions, I like to dress up sometimes. So sometimes (laughs) I can be dressed up, you know, and other times I'm dressed down. Um, So, I don't know if it's like that important that we need to in that particular way, though it's something I like to do because it's a celebratory embodied way, right, of of engaging the tradition. But but yeah, we'll have to think about what we want to do, especially if we're all gathered in the living room together watching, you know, Uh, a a live stream. (laughs) Yeah, there's something to that. But well, blessings on you and your family. Thanks for the time. It's good having the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.